0: If we got to a point where you could do a 3D motion analysis of a swimmer um, easily, then that would be um, probably the gold standard of being able to work out like which movement patterns, arm um, angles, and joint um, joint locations is going to be um, optimal for that swimmer.
1: Welcome to Social Kick. I'm Brian Lundquist. We got the full crew: Dr. John Mullen, Luke Baddington, and joining us from down under, Nick Smith. What's going on, Nick? How are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
1: Well, we're, we're good, but we're going to be better as soon as we uh, get to talk to the mad scientist behind uh, all of these amazing Australian swimming performances. Uh, we, we were talking to Cam McAvoy recently, and um, obviously he's had a resurgence in his career, and he really emphasized in our conversation with him about how big a component thinking about the, the strength and building strength and swimming specific ways has really um, led to his success. And Um, you know he mentioned what a what a role that you played in that and recommended we have this conversation so um, I just want to say you know thanks thanks for joining and 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 why what what did Cam mean uh, when when he mentions you amongst uh, you know the success he's having and what's what's the type of work that you're working on that's having an impact for the Dolphins
0: Um, yeah so Cam obviously trained it down at the Gold Coast for most of his like junior career Um, went to a couple of Olympics, um, under, under coaches down on the Gold Coast and, um, had a break after Tokyo and, um, moved to Brisbane at the end of last year. And, um, he approached the QAS at the time and said that he wanted to have some, a bit of support from, um, some people some experts in, um, in technique and and training. wanted to talk about, um, I guess a training philosophy that he had in mind, um, towards sprint swimming um and i had a meeting with him i think maybe october november last year and i wasn't sure like where it was going to go um i had sort of downloaded all his races and um and looked through his times and splits and um had a bit of an opinion on where i thought he could find some time um in his 50 particularly and and also in the 100 and um yeah, like everything I said, he he was like, "Yeah, I agree. I think like that would be that would be a good goal. That would be a good target. Um, let's do it. Like this is what I want to do. Um, I want you to help me." And we pretty much kicked off like two weeks later, and I've been working with him since. So yeah, it's been a good journey, and uh, he's um, really exciting to work with. He's really open to doing things, takes on advice, um, and is accountable to um to his training and and to his improvements which i think is a is a really key thing like when he takes ownership of his program um that's when you start to actually see the results so it's been it's been good to watch
1: before i started wearing magic five goggles i didn't notice how many times that i would stop and clear out my goggles in between reps but then Once I started wearing them, I realized that I didn't have that same need, not just for fog, but for comfort. And I just had a tendency to, to like take my goggles off for a quick break, because I don't know why, once I started wearing really comfortable goggles, I stopped doing that. And that's really what magic five does for me. It's like, I just have a comfortable goggle that's tailor cut for my face. So you can support Social Kick directly by picking up a pair of Magic Five goggles using our affiliate link. Go to social socialkick I want to dive into what what you do exactly, and I want to get a little preface. So
2: I was always happy that the three of us, Brian, John, and I, we kind of we all swim. We had our specialties. Brian, so I hold held a world record. You know, John is a swimming scientist, literally wrote a book called Swimming Science. And I guess I'm I'm from the Caribbean. But we've had people from people from the Caribbean on, we've had world record holders on. We've never had never swimming scientist on. What is a swimming scientist? And what is it you do I do you call yourself that? Like define that for me. We all have an idea, but yeah. how are you define what you do?
0: Yeah, so um in Australia we've had sports scientists for a while um, as sort of like a fairly established career. Um, yeah. they, uh, they usually specialize in a particular discipline um, when, they're, when they're aligned to a certain sport. So um, at the QAS, we have um, a performance science division where there's people specializing in physiology. Um, so looking at like training methodologies and, um, and things to enhance training performance like um, you know, altitude and recovery. Um, and in swimming, they would work closely with the coaches on how they're prescribing their sets, um, uh, how they, you know, monitor their training so that they can track improvement, um, and work with the coach to help that aspect. And then, um, my specialty is biomechanics and, um, and skill acquisition. So I sort of work with the technique side of things. So film, a lot of filming and watching video of training and, Um, working with that more so directly with the athletes to establish what are their key priorities um, for their strokes or for their starts and turns, um, what's going to make the biggest impact on their performances in the upcoming season Um, we design a plan to improve that um, how to give them feedback um, based on their personality um, how do they learn best and then sort of monitoring competition performances throughout the season Um, so I don't know if you see, we have like these big cameras that sit up the back of the stands. We film the whole race. Um, we break down um, their, the details of their race into really specific um, points and give them feedback during the competition about where they might be able to improve from a heat to a final. Um, and then we use those performances to, um, to go back and, and work out what they need to do in training to get better for the, for the next season. So, yeah, there's a fair bit involved, but mainly, um, mm. yeah, movement science is my official title. Um, but that's mm. really like the performance analysis, the biomechanics and then the skill development side.
2: Yeah. And you're at the Queensland Academy of Sports, which is a yes. government funded that focuses on athletes that are training in Queensland and you focus only on the swimmers. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. And so, any any, any um, of the clubs?
0: I, yeah. Uh, I i work mainly with the st peters program um so that's with dean um and there's a there's a lot of athletes there so that takes up a fair bit of my time um and then cam is the other athlete that i work in addition to that so um on the national team this year that that was uh, 11 athletes so um yeah it's uh it's exciting
2: well give me an example then how how you would let's go back to cam because we he's a he's a part is part of the show and you work him a lot a lot What's an example of how you would, you talk about you working as biomechanics for the athletes. So the advice you give him, the work you, you give him is different. If I was a world champion, you would give me because I'm Luke and I'm not Cam. How would, what's 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 something that Cam does well that you've worked on? And what's something that you're working on him right now with? He talks about a start often Cam, you know? So talk about yeah. that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so his his start was probably the main focus point that we um, wanted to improve in the last season leading into world championships. Um, he had a pretty clear idea about how fast he needed to be um, to be sort of up with his main international competitors. Um, so we did a bit of a breakdown of um, some of his competitors, um, worked out that he needed to probably take off about 0.2 of a second from his 15-meter time. Um, and that was going to be a combination of um how much velocity he was generating off the block um Mm. and and how he was doing that his entry angle into the pool um how deep he goes when does he start his first kick uh, when does he break out um Mm. so it was a really meticulous process of um breaking down the the on-block phase the entry and then the underwater component of his start to to find that point too and that was in um combination with the work that he was doing in the gym and the mobility work that he was doing um uh, all sort of working together to to find that time and cam's oh, really? really good he's um he, he's like really um he's probably the most repetitive athlete that i've seen in terms of like really small bandwidth between a number of mm. trials so Mm. I work with him at least once a week. He comes in and probably does anywhere from three to 10 dives over a right. two hour period and um, huh. he can he knows when something's off like he'll be able to say oh, this one felt off or I went a little bit too deep on this one. I reckon my time was 550 uh, and he'll always be within like 0.05 of this 15 meter mm. time. so he's really mm. tuned in mm-hmm. to um, his performance yeah
3: and you just mentioned you know communicating with cam and like you said he can often tell something's wrong with the start and things like that how does it work with dean and kind of working through coaches uh, i know when i was working with some elite athletes especially when swimming science or sports science was starting to come around it was like oh we have the scientists coming in talking to the athletes we have the coaches talking to the athletes but it's a different kind of message sometimes or it's not always provided the same way, but on the science, science side as it is the coaches side. And some coaches were fine with that. Other ones not so fine with that because they want to be, you know, kind yeah. of in charge of how these things are delivered. So um, tell us how you kind of go about it and how it works at QAS.
0: Yeah. So I think it's different, as you said, depending on the coach that you're working with. I, um, I've worked with um, four or five like high performance coaches over the last two Olympic cycles and they're all, yeah, they communicate with their athletes differently some of them want you to communicate with them first and then they, um, you know, disseminate the information to the athlete. Um, Dean and I, I've known Dean for about 11 years now. So he, you mm. and I have a pretty good relationship. Um, and probably more importantly, we're aligned on what a technical model looks like for each of the strokes. So when we look at something from above the water, we normally agree on what needs to be fixed. So, um that trust is there and that makes it much easier for me to work directly with the swimmers so he pretty much gives me full autonomy to um work out what needs to be fixed I run a lot of it by him anyway um but then he'll say like yeah go ahead and you know do it um you got to make sure you cover 15 athletes in in a couple of weeks um so I just sort of have to plan um, when I'm working with who and what we're focusing on. And I just keep him updated with that. But it's um, it's a good relationship and it allows me to be um, effective in that program.
3: And you mentioned that you and Dean having the same biomechanical model. And, you know, PT, we have, you know, a gait analysis or a running analysis with very specific phases and things that we know to look for. Where in swimming, I think it's, you know, a little bit more undecided, at least universally on proper, you know, biomechanics and things like that. So is this something that you and him like have kind of how structured is this or is it more just you guys have been riffing over the last 11 years about kind of similar things that you like in athlete strokes? And is it kind of universal for every athlete that you're looking to accomplish or is it very independent
0: based off of each swimmer? Mm. Um, yeah, so it's pretty qualitative swimming compared to um, some other sports They're obviously looking at a lot of video and, and using, you know, basic physics principles to work out what's going to create more drag and what's going to be um, better for acceleration um, in terms of the free swim technique. Yeah. Probably just like understanding how each coach looks at the stroke and what key things they're they're mm-hmm. focusing on. Um, and that's probably what we agree on um, uh, the most. Um, we have a, a testing pool here at the QAS that um gets into the, like the granular detail of starts and turns. So there's a lot of numbers around starts and turns that we can measure, which is what Cam's using to improve his 50. Um, so if there's something that we're sort of like investigating with starts and turns, we can get a pretty clear idea about what works and doesn't work when they come mm-hmm. here for testing. Um, and, you know, there's some tools that we can use to measure free swim velocity uh, to, to look at um, different strokes. And I think, um, the point that you made about it being individual is is really important, um, particularly when you've got like, um, for example, I got uh, Shana, Molly, and Arnie all swimming against each other. They all swim very different freestyles, um, and you know, maximizing their strengths and not necessarily trying to make them all swim like each other is is yeah. important. Yeah.
1: What are Nick? What are some of the most common things that you see uh, across all swimmers that are like suboptimal from a movement standpoint? I mean, I know it can change by maybe distance for sprinter groups or you know men and women. Um, I'm just curious, like where the where do you, um, if you were to write a short list of like the low hanging fruit of what swimmers do wrong biomechanically, like what uh what what's at the top of that list?
0: Um, we're having this discussion the other day, actually, with a, with a few scientists. And I think like, for me, I'm always looking at, um, I look at a lot of freestyle because I work with freestyle, but for backstroke and freestyle, um, hip and shoulder rotation is probably the biggest one for me. Um, and commonly you'll see like, you know, hand placements out wide or Mm. hands crossing over in front. But usually it's not because their hand's in the wrong spot. It's usually because their hip and shoulders are are rotating too much or not, um, the timing's not right. So I look at a lot of um, front-on video and I look at how the hips and shoulders interact and um, there's sort of like a a bit of a minimum standard as to how much they should um, move throughout the stroke Um, and whether that, movement might be restricted by like flexibility or whether it's strength mm. and core stability, um, trying to diagnose like what the problem is. Um, and typically you find that when you can fix hip and shoulder rotation to what you want, that the arms and legs sort of like move into the right position that you're after. So that's probably the key one for me.
2: Yeah. I want to dive into that a little bit more cause all too often I see people treating symptoms, treating the symptoms and not the cause. And they're not looking to find out why are you crossing over? Why are you going? Why are you not having elbow up? Not looking what's causing it all. Um, you know, it, that's obviously your approach, right? You're trying to figure out why is that person doing this? Why is you know in in the first place? And, and treat that. Um, do you have to sh- do? Do your elite athletes can they make that adjustment really quickly? You mentioned that Cam can make that adjustment in his dive in no time at all. Uh, do you find that elite athletes? can figure that, that out. cause out because it can be kind of complicated. We've done millions of yards or meters, you know, with always the, the shoulder going this way. You ask them to go like this now or whatever it is. How do you find your elite yeah. athletes respond to you?
0: Uh, all over the place. So yeah, yeah you have athletes like it, uh, you know, at Cam's and that are pretty in tune and they can make a change. Um, I've got a couple of other athletes that, you know, if you say the right thing, they'll be able to make the change, maybe in, you know, a couple of hundred meters of swimming, they get to a point that's um, pretty good. Other yeah. athletes, like I've been, you know, working on some things for, you know, six months and they, yeah. they haven't like quite made the change yet. Um, but it's about finding, it's really important that they understand what you're trying to say and you're not trying to um, you know, put words in their mouth. If, they're, if they're, uh, they don't understand what you're trying to change, they're not gonna make the change. Um, and then probably the other thing is they need to be able to feel the difference between what they were doing and what you want them to do. So when they do it well, it's about getting them to articulate to you how that feels. And they'll probably use a whole bunch of different words or an explanation that like you don't think of, but it works for them. So I always try and, you know, if you're going through like a diagnosis process of, um, okay, this is what I see that you're doing wrong. Um, This is what we need to get to do. And here are a couple of drills to help you work on that. And then when they nail it, you say, okay, what were you thinking about then? What were the, you know, what was going through your head and what did it feel like? And then you know we either write it down or um, um, I'll remember that for the next time that I'm working with them. So they come up with the solution, or you want them to. Uh,
2: uh, well, what if you're wrong? Like how often you, you say something? like, Crap! That that's that that that's a wrong suggestion. I'm sorry. You get that back, and you you change and you adapt, and you know go back.
0: Yeah, always. Um, yeah. I think yeah, you you try you try something for a period of time, and that, that's. Probably you know a bit loose, like how long's a piece of string, um, yeah. and yeah, if you find that they're not like they can't do it, then you need to find a different way um, mm. because you know if you if you both agree that making that change is important to improving performance, then um, yeah. I think they they're usually open to trying something different. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely don't always get it right first time, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the understanding the athlete having a good relationship with them because, you know, they have to trust that you know what you're talking about when you're giving them a technical cue um, and, and giving it time to, to make the change. So I normally like allow um, a big chunk of time for them to work on, you know, one or two things, not trying to overload them with a whole bunch of stuff that they need to change. Um, Yeah. Circling back to
3: Cam, like you said, you haven't been working with him that long. He took some time after, off after tokyo you know he was was a great swimmer before but had a much different training approach when he was in, on the gold coast there are you surprised by how quick he's had success again
0: um no um not after i probably only need to watch and train for maybe a couple of months before i knew that he was going to do something special and what whether that was making the world championships team and winning a gold medal probably not um but i knew that it would come at some point and you know obviously this year's the big year but um yeah i think it um the way that he went about his training um you know the the pressure he put on himself to get things right um and then just tracking his progress over the season like watching him get faster and faster um it was pretty evident that he was going to um swim well at trials Um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised. Um, but also like he comes from, he he comes from a high work program. Like he, as an age grouper, he was doing like, you know, 400 IMs and 400 free and open water. And, um, like his capacity for work as a, as a young swimmer was, um, was massive. I remember, um, they, we had like a state teams competition, um, in like the late 2000s and he swam like nine events or something and won basically all of them um so yeah I think that training um whilst it's completely different to the 50 I think like um he's a, it shows how much of a talented athlete he is and it doesn't matter where he's like honing his focus he's he does really well so yeah it's cool In
3: Australia, I think still is kind of coming around to some of this training philosophy, particularly for sprinters from like Cam and what I've heard from other uh, others in Australia. Do we think that Cam and Isaac uh, Cooper's success is going to start, you know, moving that ball a little quicker towards a little bit more focus um, and acceptance towards, you know, some more, you know, dedicated sprint training and focus on these things that
0: you've been working with with him in particular on? Yeah, I think so. I think, like, even before Cam, we started to look at how do we specialize in the 50 um, and how do we create um, swim programs that are geared at just um, swimming well in the 50. Uh, I think, like, it's it's the balance, right? Um, There's a certain amount of training that you have to be able to do, and it's not necessarily the same for everyone. I think, um, you know, the resistance training that Cam does is is working well for him, but he's also an incredibly talented athlete. And um, I always get the question of, you know, from other athletes, like, oh, I can, can I drop off the amount of volume that I do and just do what Cam does and be good at the 50? And I always say, well, um, there's a whole bunch of like talent that Cam has that allows him to be good at um, certain things for the 50 freestyle. So yeah, this is gonna be a bit of um, a range of what um, a 50 specialist looks like in terms of their training. And, um, I think Cam certainly um, pushing the, the narrative of more specific um, work for that type of event. And I think we'll get there. I mean, I'd love to see the, um, the form stroke 50s at the Olympics. I think that would open up um, at the, yeah. I think that would definitely allow for specialist 50 programs it would allow for athletes to continue swimming like further into their career as like a late thirties, early forties athlete. Um, it would, yeah, create longevity. I think it would have a whole bunch of um, positive outcomes, but, um, mm-hmm. at the moment I think, yeah, we're just, we're starting to push that way.
1: You Ooh. got three supporters in your, uh, in your corner on that one. I'm Nick Santos. Uh, yeah. 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 Let's, <laughs> here for the early forties guys. Um, Hey, so why did, why, what makes people trust you? Like for somebody like Cam, and and that's not a um, a knock. I'm just like curious what the what the um, what your pitch is to athletes, or if you need to. Like you said, mentioned that Cam came to you, and obviously by association with QAS, there's you know access to athletes, and um, and I'm sure like a byproduct of you working with some, then it breeds you know connections with others. But um, how do you? How do you kind of measure your success and then um, and then leverage that to, you know, to gain trust with these athletes that what you're doing, especially if it's hard. I mean, these things are hard to implement um, often. And so, uh, you know, and and you might be suggesting something that's, you know, uh, new and different or radical based on what athletes have seen or heard for their entire career. So, um, yeah, what's your approach to that?
0: Yeah, that's, um, I hadn't really thought of that before. Um, the the example with Cam, um, he came to the QAS. Um, he actually went to my boss first and said, um, can I, I'm looking for some help in this area. Um, can you, you know, work out who might be able to help me? And when she spoke to me, I thought, Oh, that's cool. Like that's a, that's a interesting project. Um, but there are a few of us that do the same job as me. So, I mean, in Queensland, obviously we have a large percentage of the swimmers and the QAS dedicates most of its resources to swimming. Um, so there there are at least like four or five people that do a similar job to me. Um, so it wasn't like guaranteed that I was going to be working with Cam. Um, I just put my hand up and said, yeah, I'd be keen to have a crack at this and, and meet with him. Um, so that's how that sort of worked out. And then I think, traditionally with um with a squad where you've got a few athletes and and you're working with the coach it's probably more about your relationship with the coach first to get the to get the buy-in into the program so um they might they might have um certain things that they want to improve and they might meet with some staff to to say this is what i want to do um how are we going to go about this and then the information that you give them at that point is probably crucial. Um, So if you've done your homework on the athletes performances and a lot of these athletes I've been working with since they were younger. So it's a little bit easier because they're, they've got heaps of stuff they need to fix and um, you can get buy-in really quickly by, you know, just watching them do something, um, saying something and then getting them to make the change. That's usually how I get, the buy-in is just like a like a low-hanging fruit, like you said before. Um, they feel faster or, you know, the next time they swim at a competition, their turns have improved dramatically and then they go, oh, that must have been mm-hmm. Nick. Um, but, yeah, I think it's probably, one, do your homework. Um, yeah. Have all the numbers, like that meeting I had with Cam where I said, okay, well, here's a breakdown of your 50 and your 100. And I think if you're going to... Um, go 21-0, then you've got to be able to improve this aspect of your race. Um, So having the knowledge that that they trust, you know what you're talking about. And then it's probably the relationship um, because it's not just about being good at knowing the stats. You have to translate the information into coaching cues, essentially. It's like technical coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, you need to know how they... How they tick, what you know, when to when to push them and when to back off. Like if they're you know in a bad mood or they're really fatigued and they don't want to listen to you talking about where their hand should be or where their head should be, um, knowing the right time um, to to make the change. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the two main things.
3: And you mentioned, like you said, taking this information to Cam and kind of doing like a diagnosis uh, on some of his races when you were kind of reviewing them. Um, do you have a standard procedure that you follow yourself when you're like, all right, I'm going to watch 10 of their races. Is it mostly, you know, getting, you know, analytical, you know, time-based assessments, or are you also jotting down just your general interpretations as well?
0: Yeah. I normally look at like a race report. So we have like a really um, good system for analyzing the Australian um, swimmers um, where we can break down like all of the aspects of their race into in terms of time as well as stroke mechanics so we can look at all their rates and counts um so i normally look at all these numbers first and probably do a little bit of a comparison either you know to domestic athletes or international athletes depending on what ones we have um finding those gaps first and then i'll look at the video and see if there's anything like that i see from um a race video which is usually you know, really far away and it's not underwater or anything like that, unless you can find some broadcast footage of them swimming under the water. Um, so, yeah, I will, yeah, look at the numbers first and then look at the video and see if um, any of those sort of match up. Um, yeah, sometimes you get to the point where you um, you don't have anyone to compare to anymore. Like we had that with um, with Ariane, um, you know, going 356 and then 355 and, We've got no one to chase. So how do we actually make her faster? Um, And yeah, like it's understanding like what their strengths are, how close to the ceiling are they in a particular part? What can they still improve? And I think like, you know, um, with some of them, you may have had a goal to improve like their turns or maybe their start and they may not have got quite there in that particular aspect but the time was really quick so you know that you can still keep chipping away at yeah. that um part that they were working on um, or you know like if you've got someone like arnie where, you, where they're swimming 400 meters and you're trying to improve her turns and she may have got three of the turns really well and four of them fell off at the end so it's about improving the consistency um, yeah, it's, it's exciting to be able to like work right at the edge of the event and the athlete. And then you've got some younger ones that you've got heaps of benchmarks to compare to. And if, you know, when you've got a squad that's got lots of athletes working head to head, you can put them against each other and say, well, this person's better than you at this and you're better than them at this particular aspect. So let's try and um, work together and, and improve both.
1: Are you most often, uh, using the benchmarks as, uh, current elite athletes and, or, or are there some like historical references of people who have done things really technically great that still continue to serve as a great example, even though maybe today they're overall faster because of strength, nutrition, diet, yeah. whatever.
0: Yeah, I've definitely gone back and looked at races from like the late, we've got, you know, some races back to early two thousands, like with Ian Thorpe, um, you know, working with Elijah and um, trying to improve his 400. I did look at some races from Thorpey and from Grant Hackett um, and, yeah, trying to pick apart, like, what made them good um, in terms of, like, just the numbers. Like, you can, you can pull out characteristics of their swimming that um, people see as, like, really good. Like, Thorpey had a great kick um, and, you know, I know Thorpe's coach is always on about how good your kick needs to be to be a good 400 freestyler. So how do we use that? Um, and yeah, I, I think I probably like lean towards more recent performances, but there have been times where it's cool to go back and look at historical numbers. Um, unfortunately, we don't have everything, but um, yeah, I find myself like trawling through YouTube for those races, like when... Um, when Thorpe went 341, not in a suit in like 2001 in Manchester. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool to watch. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I agree. Have there been, listen, we're human and we swim, we race and you know, we're going to do things once in a while in American football, they call it it audible. Like we do stuff. We adjust the race. Have we seen stuff in a race that like, well, that's not what we planned, but they made an adjustment there. And that was cool. Like, there's a good story of Sarah Sostrom at the ISL 100 IM. And she said, yeah, I just, I just decided not to breathe the last 25 because that's what needed to happen. Yeah. You know, I didn't plan that. That's what yeah. needed to happen. Do you have a story of like yeah. somebody doing something you didn't plan and like, oh, well, okay.
0: Um, I do actually. And it's probably on the similar lines to Sarah. Um, and it was just at a national competition last year with, um, with Molly. Yeah. And, uh, racing the 200 um i think it was the 200 um and it was like Shana was out in the side lane and she went out really hard um and I, i'm not sure if molly saw her but um she put her head down for the last 15 like yeah. just just didn't breathe. and we hadn't mm-hmm. planned that but she knew instinctively that if she's going to get her hand on the wall first she had to do something different because those girls were close um so yeah like they're the kind of decisions that you see, you know, champions make those decisions and like improvise in in the moment and you need to allow for them to be able to do that. Like they can be planned and you can have a, you can have a goal for a race execution, but you got to allow them to be able to go, I know that if I'm going to win, I need to do this. Um, So yeah, it's cool to see that. And you you build that into their race profile the next time that they um, race, like Molly's yeah able to change your breathing pattern like between a heat and a final um which not all athletes can do um so yeah it's it's uh interesting but it works yeah, yeah.
2: Do, do, do you do you have a plan b do you say listen if in the last 50 of that 200 you're really hurting let's go more on your on your legs as opposed to you know do you have a plan b of these athletes do you have like a different strategy biomechanically to, that works with this race pacing strategy?
0: Um, from a, from a technique point of view, I want it to be pretty set before they get to the competition. Like you okay. don't want to be trying to change too much because you want it to be autonomous for them. They're going to stand up behind the blocks and they're just going to race. So you don't want them thinking too much about, okay. you know, where their head should be or where their arm should be while they're trying to, um, while they're trying to compete. So yeah, I'd, I want them to get to a point where the, the technical execution is fairly automatic um and i most of that stuff with the with the plan a and plan b um that would be up to the coach so yeah, yeah. dean would have all of those conversations with them before the race um i might talk to him about some stuff that i see um but then here when he's delivering like the you know before they go to marshalling okay this is what you got to do um he'll have those discussions yeah
3: Switching gears to kind of more age group swimmers, I I work with a fair amount of, you know, larger age group clubs in in the States. And a lot of them are asking me about, you know, heart rate variability, monitoring recovery and all these things. And I always tell them probably the most beneficial use of resources, in my opinion, is just to get some sort of camera and video replay system at the end of each lane. So the swimmers can touch, watch their self swim and their own technique. And you can have this for multiple lanes for under $1,000 before going down the rabbit hole of these other you know, avenues, which can be helpful, but I think you're just missing the larger picture. Um, I'd love to get your views though, on you know, what age group coaches or teams could do to better or maybe understand and utilize video analysis and, and biomechanics on, on their level.
0: I think if they have um, firstly a good understanding of what their technique model is, um, that's probably the first thing. So every coach is going to like look at strokes differently. Um, I think they once they know what they want each stroke to look like, it's about probably upskilling the entire squad to, to get to that level. Because um, if you make the baseline really high, then you can start doing the individual changes with the athletes as they get older. Um, there are some really easy cameras to use now. Um, I mean, GoPros are really easy, but they can be a little bit finicky with like getting the footage off and actually reviewing them there are um, some better like live replay systems like we use swim pro cameras fairly regularly um, because you can just have the ipad sitting either with yourself or down on the pool deck where the athletes can watch it on a delay Um, i think video is good but it can be overused and i've seen some athletes who have video feedback so often um, that they can't feel whether their stroke is good or bad because they're so used to looking at the video and, and using that to determine what it looks like. Um, so I think it's important to like you be strategic with how you use video, give them time to, um, to use it to see what it looks like. And then when you take it away, maybe like quiz them. Um, do you think you did that? You know, the thing that you're working on, do you think you nailed it? Yes or no. Okay. Um, You said yes, but the video says, um, probably needs to change a little bit more. So, um, yeah, aligning the feel with what it looks like, um, is important too. But yeah, I think if we can introduce some video feedback earlier, then that can be beneficial for sure.
3: Do you think that with the athletes that use video too much, they just need to like, like you said, have it maybe used more early on with a new skill so they can like have some more confidence that they're acquiring it and then remove or provide that video feedback less and less often so they can, like I said, they, they confirm that they got it with the video early on, then you start using yeah. it less and less to, you know, firm up
0: that through motor learning. Yeah, that's how I typically approach like a season. Um, they'll use a lot of video early in the season, particularly when they're building like their aerobic base. So they're doing a lot more longer swimming at lower intensity. It's the perfect time to change techniques. So they all have like their key things that they're working on while they're, we're doing that block. They'll get video with a little bit of feedback from me. And then at some points they'll um, have the opportunity to just review on their own. And then you're just slowly stripping that away as they move through the season. Um, So yeah, you take it away. They become confident in making the change without having to see it. Um, And then, you know, you're just like giving them like check-ins and saying, I remember when you were working on this, Um, this is still really good or no, you need to make sure that you keep focusing on that part. Um, So yeah, that's how I typically use it. And then obviously if you're, Once you've made the change and you've been able to assess that at some some competitions that they've done it in like the the pinnacle, pressure, fatigue, execution Mm. of all the things, then, okay, well, what's the new challenge? Like, what are we working on now? And then you go back and you start again. Yeah.
2: Um, The video camera thing reminded me of there's a pool we swam at and they had like these one meter long mirrored plastic things that you put on the bottom of the lane. And I would lay like eight of them down, so I get a good like twenty meters of me seeing myself. And I freaking love that as an athlete, see myself swim. What 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 equipment? What tools are, are you using that we don't know about, or that you wish we had, or the swimmers wish they had? You know that could help us progress the sport and biomechanics feedback. Is there anything out there that you wish we had, or you're using?
0: Oh yeah, a lot. Um, yeah. And enough for a loop. I... Twelve years. <laughs>
2: no that's my selfie i like myself you know (laughs) yeah
0: um uh, i think if we got to a point where you could do a 3d motion analysis of a swimmer um easily then that would be um probably the gold standard of being able to work out like which movement patterns arm angles and joint um joint locations is gonna be um optimal for that swimmer so yeah putting you know a markerless system where you can literally see the body um in a 3d space is very difficult with swimming because the water refracts all the light um there's been a couple of systems that um have come out over the years but they're not quite there yet um you know we're getting we're getting close to like some autonomous um machine vision systems where um that can do a similar thing um and probably the other thing we don't understand is like how the body interacts with water um, at different speeds. And, you know, there's some research being done in pockets about like, obviously it's not a uniform drag coefficient. When you start to get faster, the wave sits in a different spot around your body um, that has implications for timing and um, body position um and when you need to be propulsive um so we don't know everything about that yet um yeah just like really simple systems for like measuring free swim velocity like we're starting to get you know really good with inertial sensors that you can just put on the hip or the back of the shoulders um and work out how fast they're going is there any difference between left and right catch um Mm -hmm. how much are their hips rotating um just being able to like pull out the numbers on that quickly um i think that's probably where we're going to get to next We can literally just put a device on the back get them to swim 50 meters pull it out and then you just download the whole data set maybe match it up with some video i think that would be really powerful
2: um i wish i knew somebody doing their phd thesis on relay starts and technique around that do you know anybody who is doing that right now talk to us about what you do your phd on because that's like you're doing oh, a PhD yeah. thesis on relay starts. I mean, yeah, Brian, John, and I have spent hours on our relay starts. But
0: what's your what's your PhD thesis on, and, and how's that going to?
1: Uh,
0: I've been doing it for a long time. Sometimes I forget what my PhD is on. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so the the reason why I chose relay starts was because I felt like it was something that we um, didn't really look too closely at as a key um contributor to relay team performance um so the first part of it was just to look at historical relay races um and the influence of the start on the performance so i you know wanted to look at all of those athletes that competed at the highest level so world championships olympic games commonwealth games um uh if they were doing like the 100 meter freestyle and they also competed in the four by one what was the difference in their split times um and what was the difference in their start times and were they actually getting the benefit of the relay start, um, being able to like move before, um, generate momentum off the block. Um, and then the next part was, okay, well, what, what technique is actually good? Cause we've seen so many, um, evolutions of relay start technique over the last probably 10 to 15 years. Um, you know, the American college system, like, um, bringing the step over where they like stand at the back of the block and jump over the top. And, um, how much impact does that have? How hard is that to actually get right? Obviously when you have to move from a a place that's further back, um, that's going to take more time and there's more room for error. Um, how often do coaches and athletes practice relays? I know it's different depending on where you swim, but a lot of our guys probably don't practice relays as often as they should. Um, they don't get, some real-life competition um, performances leading into, um, you know, World Champs or an Olympics where they're doing lots of relays. So is that a problem? Do we need to actually like make time for them to practice it more? Um, So yeah, it was about the, what have we done in the past? What techniques are actually gonna be beneficial? Can we narrow down the technique selection? Cause there's probably eight or nine different techniques depending on how many steps you take. Do you do an arm circle? Do you just swing your arms? Um, do you leave the block with uh, track start, one foot at the front, at the back, or do you leave the block with two feet at the front? Um, yeah, trying to find something that's going to um, be a little bit more prescriptive for athletes, depending on um, how, what their characteristics are. How well do they jump? We know swimmers are not typically good jumpers. Um, so, yeah, if their vertical jump is not very good, Um, do we have to improve that in order to improve their relay? So yeah, there's a few aspects there that I was looking at.
1: Okay, doctor. What's the answer?
0: I'm not a doctor yet. I'm, I'm far away from being a doctor. Um, yeah, I think there's, um, I'm, I'm interested to see whether the, um, like leaving with the split foot, I think might end up being better because, they do so many practices with like their normal start as a track start, right? So they always have one foot like on the kicker. So it would make sense that their relay changeover is also doing that. But um, when they leave the block in that position, it's much harder for them to like get down with the big arm swing and generate power. Um, so it's a bit of a trade-off between like how do you get um, how do you get off the block consistently, and you know we we see those relay teams that are breaking world records now, particularly in the four by one, um, the, all of the changeovers are like under point two. Like you can't have, you can't have a, um, a team member that like blows out to point three five cause they'll lose the race or they won't get the time. So, um, the other important part is like medley relays. How do you judge, um, butterfly and breaststroke is really hard to judge. Um, so how do we like encourage more practice where, um, the the male and female teams know exactly how to judge butterfly because obviously the strokes take longer, getting the timing right is hard. And then now with mixed relays as well, um, males judging off females and females judging off males, like most of the girls are not ready for how fast the guys no. are swimming into the wall. Um, so that can change uh, the change over time as well. So there's a few of those like practice and um, yeah, skill learning, uh, d- things that they have to to get right in order to be able to execute that like in the moment
1: have you found anything that can help with getting the timing right besides
0: reps i i think like maybe we can train people to get better at relays without necessarily like having to get on a block at a pool and do it like i'm um maybe like pre-recording some scenarios of like swimmers coming in in um like on a screen where they can if there's members of the team that um that you know you might be swimming with um like just watching them swim and learning how they finish a race um I think that um can just be a little bit of implicit learning to help um them get better like you know you always see like a Kyle Chalmers how fast he finishes and um how he always gets his hand on the wall. Like how often are the other guys in our team watching him finish and knowing exactly how he finishes? Um Kate Kim has got a really long from, stroke.
1: From above, too. You know, like that's a, such a different yeah. perspective. You know, you see sure, yeah. plenty of them have watched him swim, but how many of them have seen him from the top view when you're standing, you know, how like two meters above?
0: Yeah. You got like um yeah, Kate Campbell has a really long stroke. Like, she doesn't take that many strokes going into the walk. She's um, holding so much water. So what's the difference between watching her finishes versus Bronte or Shayna, who have a higher stroke rate? Um, yeah, I think probably we can just give the athletes an opportunity to learn a bit more about their teammates um, without actually having to get them in the same pool all the time doing changeovers.
2: Yeah, my high school teammate Arthur Bolden always talked about the people who win the four by one in track are the ones with the, t- with, the with, with the handovers, right? Who can practice that? Who can nail that handover in track? Um, whenever I was on a national team for Trinidad, the training camp we did for national team, it was like primarily practicing our relay takeovers. And you know, we set who you know, like, okay, I know Brian's going to be ahead of me, but it wasn't that often. I didn't get to do that many reps um, of it. How, how? How? I mean, how? How important is it really that I know how Brian Lundquist is coming into the world versus John Mullen? It's. I mean, it really. It makes a big difference. Do you agree? Like you know. Yeah. Yeah. i, mean, I But Definitely and we don't agree. get as much opportunity to practice that because unless I'm on a national team for the last ten years, you don't get as much opportunity.
0: Um. Yeah. Yeah. I. I think that. Particularly, yeah. particularly for those, yeah, the four by one is probably the big one. Um, four by two, like you've got more time to, like, there's more swimming time, right? So the changeover right. is probably more about being safe rather than, um, than trying to like get a really short changeover time. Um, but yeah, we we've seen re- relays won and lost within 0.05 of a second. So if you yeah, can improve that with a changeover without any effort and it's just a skill learning. Um, Why not?
3: Agreed. One thing I I was thinking about, uh, thinking of some of the middle distance swimmers you've worked with, is that most of them don't seem to have a a large galloping freestyle stroke. Um, Is that something that you think is, you know, not as efficient? To, as compared to a more symmetrical stroke i know in the you know a lot of the swimming research shows you know yeah a more symmetrical stroke should should be more beneficial than we saw a big wave with like phelps and some of these guys with a really you know large gallop in their stroke where you know i think a lot of coaches like what does the swimming science even know look at phelps he's the fastest he's got this huge gallop in his yeah. stroke um could you expand yeah. on kind of what you think on middle d in particular that technique
0: I think probably the athlete that sort of changed it for me watching her swim um, across multiple distances was Ledecky. Um, The way she swims like from the hundred meters all the way up to the 1500 um, is just the same stroke basically at a higher or lower rate. Um, So like really good opposition timing um, and, you know, no dead spots in her stroke. And I think that that's probably the way um, a lot of, the middle distance guys that I work with go um, from an efficiency perspective. But yeah, we've seen highly successful, particularly distance swimmers swim with like a bit of a lope stroke or a bit more catch up. Um, for example, like Mack Horton has a really um, like catch up type stroke and, mm-hmm. you know, as has had success with that technique. So I think it's some of those guys swim like that and it's, um, it's efficient in terms of like their energy cost, um but then others like need to be able to apply pressure the whole time um and not have any like dead spots with their hands out in front um so yeah I don't think there's hard and fast rules on it yet I think um we know that you, there's going to be more of a lope. like depending on how you breathe as well and I think I have a lot of our like male freestylers that have low, they actually accelerate really well on that like breath stroke. So they like lie out a little bit more in front, but, um, they can generate a lot of force after, after that stroke and that causes the lope. Um, and sometimes when you try and get them to swim with like more traditional opposition timing, um, they can't do it. Um, so they just, they, they love being able to like, you know, um, yeah, accelerate way more on one arm than the other. And that's um, that's what causes that load. So, yeah, I, I can't say either way that one is better than the other. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe for certain distances, there's probably one that's more preferred. But, yeah, we've got so many. Um, yeah. I think, like, the, the, the girls that race the 200 free, they all swim pretty similar um you know Elijah swims the 400 freeze, a little bit more lopy um you know Jack Cartwright swims 100 freeze, a little bit more lopy um and then you've got like you know the guys that swim the 50 like Cam um com- completely opposite timing and like perfect either side like there's no difference between left and right arm um yeah so i think it's uh it's definitely individual yeah. the kick plays a massive part in that too um, like Molly has a fantastic kick, and that and that allows her to be a little bit different with her catch. So, yeah, it's about those individual strengths. Like what makes them good, even though their technique looks different.
1: Yeah. All right, Nick. We know you got to go, so I'm just going to end with a few quick rapid fire here. What's the, who's got the best
0: technique you've ever seen? <laughs> I just said that there's multiple techniques that are different, so I can't really say <laughs> that one looks better than the other rapid
2: oh. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: no, I can't I can't answer that I, I you know I've been privileged to work with um, you know four or five world champions in the same event that um, that swim with different techniques so I can't say that one looks better than the other um, yeah so I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna answer that one nah, um, yeah. I, yeah,
1: or right, maybe the flip side, and maybe not one of your athletes, but who's got the worst stroke you've ever seen but was really successful in the pool?
0: Uh, there's one athlete that comes to mind um, <laughs> that is hard to watch just from my, like, perfectionist freestyle view, and that's um Paltrinieri. Huh? But he must have an un- <laughs> unbelievable engine, like, unbelievable engine. Yeah. Uh, and I just yeah. think every time I watch him swim, I think, ah, if we just fixed that. And we just fixed that. The guy would be like the world record holder for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. What's, what's your personal biggest swimming flaw that you hope none of your athletes have to watch you do.
0: <laughs> oh, me, me swimming. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, <laughs> probably my tumble turns.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Last one is uh, how important is social kick to optimizing swimming speed?
0: Uh, definitely important because I think every time uh, the athletes get prescribed um, kick, they always ask if it's going to be social kick. So um, right. yeah, I think it's important for the the guys that spend their with their head down for you know hours and hours to have to have their head up and chat to someone's important. Yeah. That's the answer.
1: All right. Movement scientist, Nick (laughs) Smith, thanks for sharing some of your big brain with us. We appreciate it. It's been fun hanging out. No worries. Thank you. All right. That's it for this episode of Social Kick. We'll see you next time. Hey everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it and be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick, And you can find all of our content on our website